0: Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Ruderman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's episode is really special to me. It was recorded live with my friend, Michael Bungie Stanier. We had a conversation on LinkedIn Live about my new book, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career. For once, I was in the hot seat and Michael asked me tough questions about my book. Not going to lie, I was pretty nervous. I don't do this very often, but it was really fun, and we captured it on audio so that you could hear it today. So if you like a guy with an Australian accent, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Michael Bungay-Stanier.
1: Everybody, welcome. I am Michael Bungay-Stanier, best known as the author of The Coaching Habit, and today... I am kind of officially, unofficially taking over control of a podcast. Not my podcast, but my awesome guest podcast. Let me introduce you to Laurie. Laurie Roderman is famous for many things, but for the punk rock HR podcast, which I've been a guest on. It's a fantastic podcast. It is perennially rated one of the top five HR podcasts and career podcasts in the world. And I'm in control. Why am I in control? Because Laurie has a book coming and her book is called betting on you, how to put yourself first and finally take control of your career. And when I read this book, I reached out to Laurie and I said, look, here's the problem with authors. We're awesome at promoting other people on our podcast. It gets a bit awkward to try and promote yourself. So I'm taking this over because all the people who are listening to Laurie's actual podcast, here's what you need to do. If Laurie has ever been of service to you in any way what you need to do is think about buying her book and not think about it, buy her book because it is awesome, it is well-written, it is funny as heck, it is practical, all the things that you already know and love about Laurie. And I'm just giving you the hard sale upfront, which is like, go and buy this book. Buy it if you can before its launch date, which is the 21st of January because pre-sales help the book and help it get on lists and help the publisher realize what, they've got a gem on their hand. So it's a hard sell. And now we're going to talk about the book. To everybody else who's coming to us on LinkedIn Live, hello and welcome. And we'd love to see your love. So if you wouldn't mind just hitting one of those, you know, either the thumbs up thing or the heart thing or the question mark thing, whatever kind of floats your boat. But give us some love, show us some comments, let us know you're there because it's been a while since I've done a LinkedIn Live and I'm pretty excited to be here. And I'm monologuing. So, Michael, stop monologuing and say hello to Laurie. Laurie, welcome.
0: Thank you, Michael. I appreciate being here. And, you know, I'm 45 years old and I've never done a LinkedIn Live. (laughs) I was hoping to make it to 46, but here we are. It's, so I think
1: I, I, I don't know how long LinkedIn Live's been around, but to be fair, you probably couldn't have done it as a 44-year-old. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're getting there right. in time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I'm going to read your formal introduction. Of course, everybody on the podcast needs to know, you don't need to hear this, but for the many people who I hope are coming in through LinkedIn Live or watching the video later on LinkedIn Live, if you don't know Laurie, you need to know Laurie. Let me tell you why. She is a former human resources leader turned writer, entrepreneur, and speaker. CNN recognized her as one of the top five career advisors in the United States, and her work has been featured on NPR, In the New Yorker, USA Today, and The Wall Street Journal and Vox. She frequently delivers keynote speeches at business and management events around the world, live in days past, virtually now. And she hosts the popular podcast, Punk Rock HR. She lives with her husband, who features heavily in the book? He seems to be a very noble man and cats. And I suspect more than cats now. Do you have dogs as well now?
0: I fostered a dog and found her a home. But yeah, I'm hooked. More dogs. Bring them. Bring them. <laughs>
1: exactly. And lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, Laurie, why did you write a book? I mean, you've already got an audience. You've got a platform with your podcast. I've written enough books to know that it's mostly a miserable experience. It's hard to get words on paper. It's hard to sound like yourself. Hard to get your ideas out of your head. What made you go, I'm up for it. I'm up for a book.
0: Well, like all good things in life, it comes out of a place of pain. And so we'll start right there. I was having a bit of career ennui back in like 2016, 2017, light ennui compared to my life, but I didn't know who I was, what I wanted to do. Would I write an HR book? Would I write a book about failure, which I'm totally consumed with? Would I start a new version of my consultancy? And a friend of mine who shall remain anonymous looked at me and said, oh my God, I am so sick of your (laughs) shit. We'll just swear. (laughs) You need to do the work that you were meant to do in this world. You need to write the book you were born to write. So that started me on a journey of what is this book I was born to write? And when I look at my life, I look at all the moments where I learned something it was always really painful. And there was nobody out there telling stories that really resonated with me. So I decided to tell those stories.
1: And you know, one of the things that is absolutely true about this book is that there are some great stories in there and you are a funny I mean really a funny storyteller and a poignant storyteller as well and actually you start off with a pretty powerful story about a trip down south to Tijuana do you want to just give us a a taste of that story
0: well, at the time, I was working for just a tiny global drug company called Pfizer. They're not in the news or know. anything right now. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> We've never heard of them.
1: That name does ring a bell. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And like an interesting company, really successful. And at the time was going through a lot of change. And I took a job there assuming I would be in the mix. And when you work in human resources, that is a wrong assumption. You are not in the mix. You just execute these ideas or these tasks. So I was flying around the world. Laying people off. And during one of those trips, I was feeling especially down on myself. When I started at Pfizer, it wasn't like I was the pillar of well being or health, but I was okay. You know, I was all right. But while working there, I had grown more and more depressed, more and more isolated, felt sorry for myself, felt stuck in my job, was on a lot of antidepressants, and was not sleeping right, was not eating right, and certainly not moving.
1: But apart from that, right, it all really well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: it's interesting because as I gave more to my career, the rewards came in professionally, but personally, things were a mess because mm-hmm. I was not really doing the work on my own infrastructure. So at an airport one night, I decided to make a big change based on reading an article. And us weekly.
1: Source of all things wise and profound. All things
0: wise, right, right. I decided to take control of my well being by doing what celebrities do, by doing what companies do, by putting myself first and following in the footsteps of Courtney Love and getting a lap band, allegedly, in Tijuana. So that's what I did. It was really the beginning of the rest of my life in terms of prioritizing my well-being, understanding how I fuel my body, how I move, and understanding the link between individual well-being and corporate performance. You know, if you work on the personal, you elevate the professional. That is one of the pillars of my life, and I want to thank Courtney Love for that.
1: Awesome. And I'm loving the kind of, I mean, the name of your podcast, you know, Punk Rock HR is, I don't know if that's an homage to Courtney in some way, but you clearly share some of the same spirit.
0: Yeah. You know, years ago when I began my career in human resources, I was a college student and I had a shaved head and piercings and was trying to be punk rock. And the HRD, the director pulled me over and said, you got to clean up your act who do you think you are? Punk rock HR. And she meant it as an insult, but years later, I took it on as kind of like the thing that the piece of anger in my life that I could use to do good in the world. So heck yeah, I'm punk rock HR. And I think people are human and I don't care what they look like as long as they're good people and they do good work.
1: In the book, you lay out kind of eight chapters, eight principles in terms of how you take control of your career but the context that you set up in the introduction is that, hey, surprise, work is broken. And the people who are listening in now kind of go, I know that kind of in my bones, but how would you name some of the ways that work is fundamentally broken and it makes it, it requires an active choice to personally thrive rather than just good luck?
0: Well, I love that you use the phrase active choice because you're right, work is broken, whether it comes to our well-being. our finances or ability to learn something beyond what we're supposed to do at work for that immediate job or this entrenched fear of taking a risk either on our profession or on ourselves, work is broken at the macro level and the micro level. Right. And the only way we make any progress in this world is through these little baby steps, these choices that we make day in, day out to live with integrity, to figure out who we are and what we stand for. So that when things come our way, we at least have an understanding of whether or not we're making a choice for money, we're making a choice for an opportunity, we're making a choice for our future, or we're just falling victim into old habits. So this idea of individual accountability is one of the most important pillars of the book. Boss, worker, contractor, consultant, yeah. there are no victims here. You have right. agency. You can make choices.
1: I love that. One of the great influences in the in the work that I do and the thinking I have is Peter Block. I remember him saying he saw his work in corporations as giving people responsibility for their own freedom. Oh, so and- well said. It's so well put. I mean, I love that phrase. And I love it because it acknowledges the freedom we have. Mm. It actually in the kind of in that statement, it kind of acknowledges the freedom we don't have. It's like you do work within a context which limits some of the things. But so often we just give up and we yeah. go, I'm just flotsam and jetsam. and I'll just get swept to wherever the tide is taking me. And such at the heart of this book is a call to say, understand where you have choices make choices, look after yourself. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the personal then feeds professional success.
0: That's right. You know, so many of us say I'm working 70 hours a week and I'm exhausted and I'm burned out. And I think one of the core principles of the book for me is this idea that first of all, you're probably not working 70 hours a week (laughs) on the internet, effing off like everybody. But okay, let's say you're working a lot in front of your screen. We all are these days you have the ability to set some boundaries. And one of the yeah. ways you can do that is to be a slacker because if you're working 70 hours a week and you're burned out, you're not giving a hundred percent anyway. So yep. back off of work, work on your well-being, be an adult like the person I know you are. And then when you go to work, that 80%, that slacker version of you is actually going to be better than the burned out version you've been giving. But so many of us are just afraid to take a step back and do the work internally. And I'm going to tell you what I tell everybody else, you fix work by fixing yourself. There is no other path.
1: Let's talk about being a slacker, because that's the, the title of the second chapter, Be a Slacker, Work Less to Accomplish More. And I am all in on that. I, mean, I, <laughs> I love that as a philosophy, because, you know, fundamentally, I'm a lazy person. But it's Why also just true. That,
0: yeah, right. <laughs> but,
1: but you know, George Bernard Shaw said, I'll get the quote slightly wrong, but he said, work, the progress depends on the unreasonable man. And by man, he means person, because the reasonable person just gets along to go along and goes along to get along. And the unreasonable person goes, there's got to be a better better way of doing this. <laughs> and connected, somebody said, look, the best person to have in your organization is a smart, lazy person. Because they're like, I'm going to figure this out so we can yeah. do this faster and easier and more efficiently. I love that. But Laurie, here's the thing. To do that and to claim responsibility for yourself, it requires boundaries. It requires you being able to say no Mm. or yes, or maybe. And that fear of conflict and ruffling feathers and disrupting the comfortable vibe is something that lots of people have. I have that as well. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How do you help people lean into the power of being able to say no?
0: Well, Michael, you know, one of the things I learned from you in your great book, The Advice Trap, is that I never just want to tell people what to do because they don't (laughs) listen, right? I just have some ideas. I have ideas As you taught me to say, I have ideas. And I like this idea that you practice in the small moments to nail it in the big moments. You know, you would never walk into your CEO's office and just lay down the law, right? You would screw it up, you would be awkward, and your CEO would be like, Whoa, I thought you were a nice guy. (laughs) So for me, in my life, and what I teach to people who work with me is to practice in these moments on a Tuesday afternoon. When somebody's bugging you on a Zoom chat, how can you lean into that moment and regain control of the meeting? Or if a parent or someone you love is really pushing your buttons, how can you calm that inner scared animal, calm your central nervous system, and just look at the situation critically and with some rational thought? Those are the things we practice so that when someone is really testing us at work, we've already got a muscle memory, we've got a body of knowledge, and we can pull from that in that moment. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: You know, I love it. In the coaching habit book, the first chapter is about habit building. And the the formula, which is me standing on the shoulders of all sorts of other people, is simply this. When this happens instead of I will. Yes. When this happens instead of I will. Three parts to the formula. And when we're encouraging people to build habits, and often in the context it's about being coach-like, but that formula works anywhere and for everything. It's like identify the moments. I love your insight. It's like in the small You practice in a small safe space so that when the the bigger challenge comes, you're like, as the saying goes, you don't have to rise to the challenge, but you fall back on your training. That's what it really helps to identify that. So it's like, if you think back on your week and you're like, here's where I keep getting bamboozled into saying yes to stuff I want to say no to identify it now, identify what might be at risk by you pushing back, write out the phrase you want to say. Practice it once or twice in the mirror because it sounds terrible the first three times you say it. You're like, I can't believe I'm saying that. And then have a go at practicing it. And if it succeeds, great. And if it fails, great. You get to have another practice next week.
0: I love that. You know, I have another exercise that I teach some of my clients, which is an exercise that was taught to me years ago in human resources called I know this much is true. And I have a list of things that I know are true in this world, like a job worth doing is a job worth doing well, or kindness and compassion can move mountains, right? Just little sayings that I believe in that I'm not super proud of, but I believe at my core, right? And when someone asks me to do something that really irritates me, I look at that list. And I'm like, all right, a job worth doing is a job worth doing. Well, I can do this work. Put aside my ego because it's worthy work, because it needs to be done, and not internalize it and not have it check up against my ego because I know that the act of doing this work has downstream effects. So, this exercise was just so helpful for me, especially when I worked at Pfizer. So, I was deciding to leave. What did I believe in? What did I hate? What did I enjoy? Well, what do I know to be true about the world? And let me check it against that. And that truly got me through so much conflict and really enabled me to be a little bit of a slacker.
1: That's nice. Yeah. Hey, Laurie, one of the chapters that you talk about, chapter number four, is called Fix Your Money. You can't quit your job if you're broke. And I want to really connect this to this commitment to self-care and looking after yourself and personal growth, particularly for all of us, but women in particular. You know, I'm not sure exactly the numbers, you'll know better than me, but it's like, what is it, 79 cents to the dollar that women get paid? Yeah. Like, it's well known that women under negotiate compared to men, or maybe men over negotiate compared to women, depending on how you want to to frame it. But for all of us who are listening, how do you help us find our worth and ask for our worth? Because it's a hard conversation for lots of us.
0: Well, many times we want to jump to asking for our worth at work when we've not done it throughout our entire lives. So I talk a little bit about that in that chapter. I mean, someone like my father who never really leaned into his full worth for his whole life. And then at the end of the career that he had, didn't have any money to show for it. So my message to people is it's not too late, but it's important to start now asking for it when it comes to time management, asking for it when it comes to your ability to learn, because if you're not learning, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're not going to thrive. So learning is a part of this financial conversation as well. But I think so many people just want to jump to this conversation around negotiating salary. And it's an important one, Michael. But if you can't negotiate how to do the dishes in your own home, <laughs> you're never yeah. going to be able to negotiate your worth at work. But right. if anybody is looking for a resource, I mention a wonderful woman in the book who can absolutely teach anybody how to negotiate. And her name is Ching Valdezco. I saw her speak and I was like, oh my God, I need a raise and I'm my own boss. You know, (laughs) she was still moving. I think there are times when it's appropriate to stand up and ask for what you think you're worth, but it's also important to do the research. And more and more companies now are going to a first and final offer status because they're trying to make sure they have pay equity across all organizations. So, really about doing your research talking to veterans in your organization, trying to figure out what I'm worth, do I really know it, and how do I get the right data?
1: Let's go upstream to that, because I absolutely agree with your point, which is it's hard to ask for a pay rise if you're kind of getting pushed around around who does the dishes at home. (laughs) And that sense, which is so much of what's at the heart of this book, which is understand and appreciate and nurture your sense of self-worth, because that's the foundation from which a career is built. The ability to know who you are, know where you thrive, know what you're worth, able to ask for what you want, that opens possibilities for you. You talk about in that first chapter how the trip to Tijuana and getting the lap band kind of somehow twisted the Rubik's Cube, three twists, and suddenly it kind of made a a real difference. If people are like, I love the outcome that Laurie got from the lap band. I don't (laughs) want to go to Mexico for surgery. Where do you point people to, to that act of building themselves?
0: You know, you're right. If you are headed off to Tijuana on a bus and you have to bribe somebody to get lap band surgery, which is what I had to do, <laughs> the um... story is
1: so good. <laughs> honestly, I mean the book is full of good stories, but the way you lay this one out is oh, just man. outstanding.
0: Crazy, crazy. I mean, it wasn't in retrospect. It's a crazy decision, and I only had thirty pounds to lose, right? But those thirty pounds were the just the seagull around yeah. my neck. You know, I was just terrible. So a lot of people would say that's crazy, or I don't want to hit rock bottom. I want to make some good changes in my life before then. But we live in a world where we want emotion and we want Brand and we want experience without identifying like the noun of it, like the thing of it. So, the exercise that I have people do at the end of the chapter is really to determine what it is they want and then work backwards from that to figure out the behaviors and the attitudes to get there. So, yeah. if you truly want to stay at your job, but you don't want to be miserable anymore and your boss is harassing you or bullying you, the book teaches you to break that down into components and figure out what you can control and what what you can't and make some good decisions around that. But it's really about working backwards from a destination. And the destination for me was that I didn't want to be in human resources anymore. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to contribute and fix work a different way. But you know, it took me 30 some odd years to get to that place. So I don't expect this is an easy journey for anybody, but it's possible, it's doable. And I think this book is not quite Tony Robbins. It's not even Mel Robbins, right? It's not the four (laughs) steps you need to complete the one question you should ask, right? It's just a series of stories to help you think about your own life with a few exercises built in, but really nothing onerous, just a way to reconsider your journey and maybe take a two degree pivot to the right. But like compound interest, that two degree pivot, it'll pay off.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not the kind of, here are the seven steps for all the the 11 magical things. You won't believe number five. Um, if those
0: worked, we would all be happier. We would have fixed work. There exactly. would be no need for HR. We'd all be exactly. independent. It doesn't work. The only thing that works is you living a life with some integrity.
1: I'm going to say that it's more than just great stories, although it is lots of great stories, you know, funny you know, moving like the story of your dad, but there are these principles behind it, which are like, here are like eight or nine areas for you to be thinking about and focusing okay. on. And I love that teaching around that. this is how you work back from the destination. I think of um, a writer called Roger Martin, who's a Canadian, written a number of books. He was the Dean at the Rotman Business School here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. He says the strategic question is what needs to be true if And it's so powerful because it doesn't have you go leaving HR. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because then you get into a kind of weird debate around pros and cons. And honestly, it's almost impossible to find that balance. He says, let's just assume that that's the thing we're working for. What needs to be true? And you write down the things that are true. And then you go, well, how likely are those things to happen? And could I make them happen? Or is it out of my control and out of my influence? And it makes the path a much clearer call around, is it worth pursuing or is it Really not worth pursuing. So smart. I love that you're giving people direction towards that.
0: You know, I also teach an exercise in the book called a pre-mortem. And this yeah, exercise so absolutely changed my life. And you know, it was modernized by Dr. Gary Klein at Harvard and Stanford, but it's really a stoic exercise to predict failure. And then to try to beat it and you do that by just thinking about how things will fail and it's such a good exercise for anybody looking to try something new to interview for a new job we all know the ways we're gonna blow the interview and yet we go into the interview and we do it anyway so what if we just stopped for a second and recognized oh I talk too much or my hands are sweaty or I make poor eye contact and work on those, you give yourself a greater chance of success by over 30%. That's not nothing. So the pre-mortem for me has been like the difference between remodeling my kitchen or getting a divorce from my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out we're still married in our old kitchen. It's fine.
1: That sounds wonderful. The final chapter is called quitting time. And it's like, what happens if you need to leave your job? And, you know, one of the things that a pre-mortem might bring you, one of the things that are what needs to be true if might bring you is uh, this is a broken situation and it's time for me to parachute or get out of here. How do you do that in a way that maintains your dignity burns fewer bridges and is like the smart way to leave because, you know, we just had somebody leave box of crayons, one of the companies here. And honestly, it's just so much worse. I mean, it was bad. And oh. then the way they've left it, they've just set everything on fire. And I'm like, the difference oh. between leaving with dignity and style and smart and setting the place of fire is just a chasm. So help right. people leave brilliantly.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you what my mom once taught me that you can't fix stupid. So, you know, <laughs> I don't promise somebody who's stupid with this book, but I do put out this idea that you can leave on your own terms with dignity and it can be a nice event, but you have to make some really good choices about your attitude and what makes it a little bit, I think, more interesting and a little easier for people to leave if they could leave like an executive and get a little right. set And so in this chapter, I teach people how to ask for what they're worth on the way out the door. You know, a head of sales or a head of marketing never just quits a job. They leave and get about a year's worth of severance or maybe even more. And then they get an extra bonus and all sorts of stuff. The average chump, like you and me, just quits a job, puts in our two weeks, and then we go on to the next uh, job.
1: No, I have never got a severance package. Where was your book when I needed it? Because <laughs> you know, I now own companies, so I now pay severance packages yes. out to people, and I don't mind doing that. But there's one part of me that's going, damn it, you missed your chance to get a severance package. And I love that you're teaching people to... And this is a key insight, which is like, think like an executive. Think three levels up from where you are now. How would they behave and then get some of that swagger into the way that you show up?
0: That's right. And you know what they would do? They would bite their tongue, at least until they got that check. And then they would leave and go on and live a terrific life. Because as all the great philosophers say, living life well is the best revenge. (laughs) And the way you do that is with a little cash in your pocket. So there's such a tendency for people to want to just slam the door and make a big scene. And believe me, I get that. But a little bit of money can really launch you to that next great thing. And it reminds me of something I write about in that chapter from my dear friend, Jennifer McClure, who said to me once, all good people get fired once. I know. Oh my God. I'm like, you're right. If you've been fired, either for cause or you've been laid off, you're in great company because you're with people who are disruptors, innovators, who think a little bit differently. The key is to do something terrific with that energy of just being fired. That's it.
1: Laurie, this has been a brilliant conversation. I've loved talking to you about it. I've been looking forward to it for weeks as soon as we rescheduled this because I'm such a fan of the book. I'm not your only fan, though. There are people who are (laughs) listening who are fans of you and fans of the book. So for the people who are going, I want to help Laurie, I want this book to succeed. I want her to get the spotlights and the recognitions that she's owed, that she deserves. How can people help you with this book?
0: Wow. What a really generous question. Just like anybody else, I'm terrible at asking for help. And so thank you, Michael, for helping me to do this event today. The book comes out on January 12th and it's called Betting on You as we've said a million times and it's available everywhere. But you know, I'm not sure I want to give Jeff Bezos any more money. So I've been encouraging people to go to bookshop.org and order the book that way. Although I did do the narration and I'm super stoked about that. That was the first time I've done something like that. That's cool. audiobook, on Audible, on iBooks, anywhere you get an audiobook. But it's everywhere you want to buy a book. And I'm just honored if you would pick up a copy. And I'm certainly open to hearing whether or not this book resonates with people. I want to know. I want to see if I nailed it or if I have some work to do. So leave me a review on Amazon. Five stars, hopefully, but I can take critical feedback.
1: So I'm going to add a few things. Whether you buy the book from Amazon or elsewhere, a review on Amazon is still really valuable social proof for yeah. any author. So you can really help by. Knocking up five stars and writing some nice words about it. It's really helpful if you take a photo of you and the book and you post it on social media and tag uh, Laurie as part of that. So she knows you're out there waving the flag. Because just imagine this thousand people have a copy of her book, thousand pictures show up on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter at the same time. The whole world starts noticing that this new book is out there in the world.
0: And I might start to cry. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: exactly. And we want to see her cry. I know Laurie is keen to get on some great podcasts so other people can hear this conversation. If you know people who host a good podcast or you've just got a recommendation, you go, you should get on this podcast because it's quality and it's a great fit. Please reach out to Laurie directly and help her find places so people can also learn about this book.
0: Thank you so much. You are welcome to take over my podcast anytime, <laughs> for any reason. And let me just say, you know, we, you've been a guest and I'm a big fan of both The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap. Those are two books that are really important to me. And I know that any business leader ought to be reading them and they make great gifts.
1: One final thing, Laurie, for those that don't yet know you, haven't subscribed to newsletters and podcasts and the like, where can people find you?
0: The easiest way is to go to punkrockhr.com. And you'll find the whole ecosystem there, maybe a little too much, but I hope not. If you like puppies and kittens, I'm your woman.
1: That is true. And work out because you you, oh, yeah. you post Thank your you. regular <laughs> your kind of strength workouts on Instagram as well. Like I know, I'm
0: so obnoxious. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Sorry. friend, so much.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for being here.
0: Take care. Hey everybody! I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Bungie Stanier. If you want more information or you'd like to listen to any other episode of the podcast, you can head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today. And I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.